2022, here we are, right? Not so tough. We got it, right? It's a good year. I know we've had some challenges, but you're here, and God has carried us, and God will continue to be there. Amen? And now as we enter into 2022, I wonder what's on your mind. What are you hoping for? What are you looking to see God do in you and, and through you? You know, there's nothing, there's nothing magical about January 1st or 2nd in this particular case, right? There's nothing, but, but we deal well with new beginnings. I, I think there's something very special about the beginning of a new year. It's a great time to start something. It's a great time to set some goals. It's a, it's a great reference point for us to kind of look back, right, at and, and kind of just begin to run forward. And, and so, well, there's nothing magical about New Year's. It does present for us just an opportunity to kind of set some new, uh, some new goals for us to uh, shoot for. And we need to have, be realistic with those things because how many set goals last year? Yeah, I won't ask you if you've kept them, um, but, but there, there's always those times where we look and say, you know what, we, you know, we, we, our intentions were good. How many had good intentions last year? Right? Sometimes the follow-through, though, is like, yeah, not, not, not something we want to uh, blog about. But, but today, as we're coming into a new year and we're entering into 2022, and um, I really feel like the Holy Spirit put a text on my, my heart to bring t- to you this morning and for those who are um, online as well and uh, maybe just an opportunity for us to uh, position ourselves for greater opportunities to grow this upcoming year. Um, we're entering into something we've been doing for a little over 10 years here at Integrity. We uh, begins tonight at 12 a.m. We're going to begin our um, time of prayer and fasting, a time where we carve out um, a, an intentional um, period of time to fast and pray and seek God uh, as we enter into the new year. And, and as we do that, I really do feel that, that the Holy Spirit has put something in my heart to share with you. Um, certainly, I run it through the filter of my own life and realize, yeah, that challenged my heart, so maybe it'll challenge uh, you as well, because I think we're kind of running on the same turf, right? And so uh, if you have your Bibles with you, let's turn together to Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14. And in a very real way, it's kind of the end of a season for Jesus and his disciples in their ministry as Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's moments before um, he is betrayed and handed over and crucified and a new season of life that the disciples are about to enter into. And so it's kind of a new year scenario for them. And so the ending of an era and the beginning of a new era, and I think it kind of applies to where we may find ourselves um, today. Mark chapter 14, let's take a look together at verse 32. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little further, he fell on the ground and he prayed, if it were possible, that the hour may pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. What Jesus is referring to is the cup of suffering that he is about to endure 
On the other side of the Garden of Gethsemane was the, the hill called the Skull, Golgotha, where Christ would be put on a cross and forced to endure horrible suffering. And he says to his father, Father, if all things are possible for you, remove this cup of suffering from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came back to his disciples and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. Then he came to them a third time. And he said to them, are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Let us rise and be going. See, my betrayer, speaking of Judas, is at hand. Now, there's, a, there's a lot going on in this section of Scripture. Um, this was very significant time in the ministry of Jesus. What a, what a beautiful preservation of the scripture for this to be captured for us, um, to be able to see in this, this moment in Jesus's life something that we can really identify with because nowhere else in scripture do we have a better understanding and presentation of the humanity of Jesus. I mean, he is in that garden. He is fully aware of what is right around the corner. I mean, he is the one who, 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 who was there when Isaiah began to write about the things that, that the suffering servant would have to endure. Jesus fully knew well, well what was right around the corner. And we see the humanity of Jesus. He looks at his friends and he says, my, heart, my soul is sorrowful even to death. We hear him appeal to his father, if there's any other way, if there's, a, if there's a way that I cannot have to go through what I'm about to go through. Another one of the gospel narratives mentions the fact that Jesus began to sweat drops of blood, which we know is very possible when a person is under extreme stress and strain that they have the, the potential of bursting blood cells as they begin to sweat drops of blood. And here is Jesus at the most angst time of his life and he even reveals to his disciples, my soul is sorrowful even to death. And so we see the humanity of Jesus in ways that nowhere else in the scripture do we have a picture of his humanity. I don't know about you, but I read that and I can identify to a small degree. Obviously, I've never had to endure what Christ is about to endure, but I can identify with this one who is looking for plan B. If there's any other way, Give me that way, yet not what I want, Father, because that's what I want. Not what I want, but what you want. Not my will, but your will. And so we see the humanity of Jesus, and then we also see the humility of Jesus. 
He accepted the will of his father. I mean, he's God. He could do whatever he wanted to do. But he followed through on the plan. The plan that was put in motion before the foundation of the world. And so we see the humanity of Jesus and we see the humility of Jesus. But Jesus isn't the one I really want to focus on this morning. I want to focus our attention this morning on the disciples because I think we could see something in them that might look a little bit like what we see staring back at us in the mirror at times. I mean, these guys who were with Jesus were, were certainly committed to Jesus. I mean, nobody could ever question their love and their devotion to Jesus. I mean, just at the invite to come and follow him, they dropped everything, right? And they followed Jesus. For three years, they left everything that was familiar. They left their jobs. They left their family. They left their livelihood. They even left their identity to follow the footsteps of this rabbi from Nazareth. Nobody could ever question the fact that these men that walked with Jesus were committed to him, that they loved him, right? Nobody could ever question that. But notice what happens here. Jesus says to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch. Nowhere else in, recorded in the scripture do we see Jesus being so vulnerable with his disciples. Nowhere else does Jesus show that part of his humanity and his vulnerability with the disciples. I mean, this is the only point that we see in the scripture where Jesus shows them what's going on in the inside. He's like, man, I'm a wreck right now. My soul, my mind is exceedingly sorrowful even to the point of death. Could you, could you watch and pray? In fact, he even goes, first he starts off with all of his disciples, then he has some of them stay behind, and he has Peter, James, and John go with him. Clearly, they were the closest ones to them, to Jesus. And Jesus reveals to them what is really going on, what's going on in the inside. And he says, will you watch with me? Could you imagine going through a season of your life that is so horrible to the point of death, which is what Jesus is saying, and you go to the closest person in your life and you reveal to them, here's what I'm going through. I've just got one request. Would you just watch and pray for me? And then Jesus makes that request and they fall asleep. Not once. Not twice, but three times they fall asleep on Jesus. I mean, how do you reconcile that? What, we can't just conclude that they didn't love Jesus. We know they love Jesus. We can't conclude that, well, they're just lazy. They, we know they weren't lazy. We can't say, well, they did, obviously they really weren't very committed to him. We know that they were committed to him. They walked with him faithfully for three years. So how do we reconcile this one request that Jesus has, this appeal to his friends, and they fall asleep on him? I'm sure they can see what's going on in the heart and mind of Jesus. Clearly, there was something more 
going on in the minds of the disciples. And Jesus knew what was going on, but here's the problem. The disciples didn't really know what was going on because I'm sure they didn't want to fall asleep. You ever do that? Just a side note, like you're just, you know, watching something that's really good and you're like, you know, like, like just kind of, just somebody just put me out of my misery and put me to bed, right? I'm sure the disciples are probably like that as well, like just kind of like trying so hard, but they just weren't able to do it. And so Jesus, I love this about Jesus. In the midst of the most horrible moment, he creates a teachable scenario. Not only for them, but for you and I as well. Look what Jesus says to them. He goes to Peter and says, Simon, are you still asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you might not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. I want to take that, that apart for a moment and because I believe that we can, we can all relate with this phrase that Jesus applies to his disciples. I think we can all relate with this at one time or another in our lives. Have you ever had a moment, or am I the only one in the room, where you look and say, I am going to really honor God in this area. My spirit is willing, but my flesh, I just couldn't deliver. Anybody else? I mean, that's really what's going on here. But look what happens here. Jesus says something to his disciples that I think we need to kind of spin it on its head a little bit because we look at this as a very negative thing. What Jesus says to him is your spirit is willing. Can we just celebrate that for a moment? Celebrate the fact that their spirit was willing. Jesus acknowledges that there's a willingness on their end to, want, to be what Jesus wanted them to be. I mean, there's something going on inside of the disciples. Hey, they didn't deliver at the moment, but Jesus, knowing what was in the heart of these disciples, was able to communicate to them, listen, I know your spirit indeed is willing. Perhaps you can relate with that today. Maybe you're not where you really want to be in your spiritual journey. Maybe you're sitting here this morning saying, I know I've been in the faith for such a long time. I know I should know the word more than I do. I know I should pray more than I do. I know I should be doing all these other things, but my spirit is willing. I just, for some reason, I can't seem to get past myself. Can I just celebrate you for a moment? Let's, let, let's like pull away from the fruit for a moment. And can we just celebrate the fact that the spirit is willing? You know why I celebrate that? Because here's the thing. If your spirit is willing, that means the spirit of God is within you. Because there is nothing in you, nothing in your flesh that, 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 that searches for God, that wants God. That's what Paul writes about in the book of Romans, that no one seeks after God. No one wants to please him. But if you're here this morning and you look and say, you know what, I'm not what I want to be, but I, I want to be more powerful and uh, more powerful tool in God's hands. 
My spirit is willing. Let me just celebrate that for a moment and say, God, the Holy Spirit is within you and he's putting something in you. He's putting a want to in your wanter. And here's the good news. He that began a good work in you, he will complete it unto the day of Jesus Christ. He will complete it. It's not up to you. He is going to fulfill that which he started in your life. And so take a moment and just be thankful for the fact that the willingness is there. I mean, we could look at the disciples and be like, what a bunch of losers. But, but man, they were on the mountain with Jesus. They must have had something good going on. And even especially these three, they must have been doing something, right? Right? And Jesus says, oh, your, your spirit indeed is willing. But see, the reality is, if you're here, you're listening to me online, or you're in the room, and there's something in you that says, I want to please God more this year than I did last year. I want to grow more. In my, the Spirit of God is within you. That want to is put there by God because the flesh is always at enmity with the Spirit. There is nothing in your flesh that wants to please God, honor God, or pursue God. And the very, re the very fact that you're here today or listening and applying these things online, the very fact that there's a desire for that, that, that there suggests that the Holy Spirit of God is within you and he is going to complete that work in your life. I mean, that's where the disciples were at. They wanted to be there for Jesus. They really did. Their spirit was willing. Their spirit wasn't the problem. The problem was their flesh. Their flesh was weak. Their flesh was unable to follow through and carry through on what their spirit was willing and wanting to do. They hadn't made enough deposits into their spiritual account to overpower their flesh. Their flesh was stronger than their spirit. And at this moment, Jesus is saying to them, listen, I know you want to, but your flesh is stronger than your spirit and it's overriding what your spirit wants to do. There's a war going on inside of you. This desire to please God and this desire to serve the flesh. And here's the problem. This war is going to be, the outcome of this war is gonna be determined by the thing that you feed the most. And the problem is, disciples, you have been feeding your flesh so much, that is why you cannot stay awake. Your spirit indeed is willing. Got that going for you. But the flesh is weak. And you know what? What's true for them is true for each and every one of us as well. This passage of scripture was not there and preserved over the, over the period of time it's been preserved for, for us to understand their problem is there to identify our own problem. The spirit is willing, but, but the flesh is weak. I've spoken to many Christians over the years who can really identify with that. I've been one of those Christians over the years that can really identify with that. I am one of those Christians right now who can identify with that.
I want to grow. I want to get past the things that, that prevent me from experiencing everything God has for me. My spirit indeed is willing. My flesh just keeps getting in the way. So what needs to happen? When my flesh is bigger than my faith, something needs to change. How do we get to the point where my willing spirit becomes my everyday reality? Wouldn't you love that? Don't you want your willing spirit to become your everyday reality? Right, don't, don't you wish, don't you have, we all have this picture of our, of who we want to be as a Christian, right? We understand the word, we're sensitive to people, we're loving, we're compassionate, we reach out to the brokenhearted, right? We, 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 we selflessly give of ourselves and our resources to those who are in need. We've got this picture of, of what we want to be. And Boy, do I really want that. It's just not always my reality. I touch on it once in a while. It's kind of like when you go golfing. It's like once in a while, just when you're about ready to give it up, you, you hit the ball just right and think, oh, maybe I've got something here. I can build on this, right? Well, it's kind of like you have those moments where you look and say, you know what? I think I, think I can do this. What's the problem here? Well, why is, my, why is there such enmity, such conflict between my spirit and, my, and, and this part of my flesh that wants to do what it wants to do. How do I get past the point where, 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 where my, my willing spirit becomes my daily reality? Here's the key. The key is to weaken your flesh and thereby strengthen your spirit. Or as Paul will say more bluntly, put to death the members that war within you. And we're going to unpack a lot of that these next, next two weeks together. I'm kind of just, I'm just introducing to you this morning a little bit of where we're going to go as we focus uh, these next two weeks of time of prayer and fasting. But, but really the key to uh, allowing our reality um, to be more consistent with our willing, our willing spirit is the mortification, the death of our flesh. I mean, Jesus was giving them very clear instruction on how to do that in this passage. Verse 32, he says, he says what? Sit here while I pray. Sit here while I pray. 34, he says, remain here and watch. Verse 37, he says, could you not watch for an hour? He says again in verse 38, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptations. Four times in this small narrative do we see Jesus appealing to the disciples and saying, pray, pray, watch and pray, watch and pray, watch and pray. Your flesh is too strong. Your spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. Pray, pray, pray. The disciples lacked the ability to spiritually rise to the challenge because they invested more in their flesh than they did in their spirit. And when Jesus was arrested, they scattered. You see, the takeaway for you and I in this is that we need to be sure to carve out intentional opportunities to walk in the spirit, to live in the spirit, to be filled with the spirit, to say no to our flesh. My flesh hates when I say no to it. So does yours, right? 
And because here's, Paul, Paul says, I die daily, right? I die daily. Because every time we say no to ourselves, we're killing a little bit of ourself that wants to live, but that little bit of us that wants to live is the very thing that's keeping us from, from being all that God has created us, created us and designed for us to be. And so we want to create and carve out intentional opportunities to walk in the spirit, to live in the spirit, to grow in the spirit, and the only way we can do that is to starve our flesh. A malnourished flesh will never win out over a strong, vibrant spirit. A malnourished flesh will never win out over a strong, vibrant spirit. A strong, vibrant spirit will keep the flesh in its place and say no with such conviction, with such firmness, with such tenacity that there's no compromise in that no whatsoever. And what's true for us as individuals is true for us as a church as a whole. And that's why we're carving out this time these two weeks to pray and fast as this new year approaches. We don't know what it holds, but we know who holds it. We know who's sovereign over it all. Isn't it encouraging to know nothing's going to catch God by surprise this year? Nothing. Nothing's going to catch God by, by surprise in the world, and nothing's going to catch God by surprise in your life this year. And if Jesus doesn't choose to rapture us out of the, off this earth before the end of this year, I do know this, that we'll be able to look back at this year and see the fingerprints of God in our lives because he's committed to us as people. And so we want to carve out that time to seek God, not to change the mind of God, but to change our own hearts, to position ourselves so that we can say like Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, not my will, but your will be done. You know, those are, it's very easy to say that, but to live it is another whole scenario, isn't it? The song we were just singing before, I, I thought to myself, how many times have I sung that song? Whatever you, wherever, whatever you need from me, right? Whatever you call me to do, I'll give it, right? More of you and less of me. It's like, yeah, I really want that, but I really don't want that sometimes. But I want to want that, right? So how do I want, how do I, how does that want to become a reality? I've got to kill my flesh. I've got to kill my flesh. And so we're carving out this time of, of prayer and, and fasting. As we enter into this new year, I, I, don't, I don't want to fill my internal hunger with anything other than what God has for me. That's what I want. I don't, I don't want what I want. I want what God wants for me. Too many times we self-medicate our appetites with things other than what our spirit is most hungry for, right? Too many times there's a hunger in us and too many times we self-medicate our appetites for things other than what our spirit is most hungry for and here's the sad thing is that the, the thing we hunger for the most, we worship. And you see, fasting has a wonderful way of revealing to us the things that we hunger for the most. 
What do you hunger for the most? Oh, I, want, yeah, I, I, want, I want a good career. I want to have money in the bank. I want to have security. I want to have healthy relationships. I want to have, you know, I want to have all these things. And you know what? In and of themselves, those things are not a bad thing. The problem is they can't be the primary thing. And if we find ourselves hungering for that the most, we got to be careful because we're making an idol out of that very thing. The thing we hunger for the most, we worship. And I don't know about you, but I want to hunger for God more in 2022 than I have ever hungered for God before in my life. And the only way I'm able, able to do that and going to pursue that is to say no to the things that I self-medicate that hunger with. Whether it be food, whether it be friendships, whether it be devices, whatever it may be. Fasting is a means of God's grace to embrace something more than our appetites. Fasting is a means of God's grace to embrace something more than our appetites. It's not about legalism. It's not a formula, right? If you fast, you'll get what you want. No, if you fast, you'll discover what God wants for you. You'll want what God wants for you. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart, the scripture says. What does that mean? It means that as I delight myself in the Lord, he will put into me the things I ought to be desiring. If I'm not delighting myself in the Lord and I'm delighting myself in myself and I'm focused on my flesh and my wants, the things that I pursue are not necessarily always gonna be the things that God has for me. And so fasting is more about our hearts than our stomach, right? Abstaining from food for a period of time is not the goal. Abstaining from food for a period of time is a tool to identify the thing that we hunger for the most. Now, I'm not telling you what you need to fast and how much you need to fast, but I'm going to say fast something, that thing that you crave, that thing that you wake up thinking about, whether, whether it's food or some other thing, but the thing that you go to sleep thinking about and waking up about, give that to God in these two weeks and allow God to reveal what's, what's really the hunger of your heart. I promise you that you will never become more aware of what you're truly hungry for than you will when you're fasting. Fasting has a way of identifying those things on the inside that we try to treat ourselves with in food. You know, the Bible is full of examples of people fasting. Israel fasted in times of war, during times of threats of war. They fasted when loved ones were sick, they fasted when loved ones died, they fasted for their enemies. They fasted when they sought God's forgiveness. They fasted to be forgiven. Jehoshaphat fasted when threatened by Edom. Ezra fasted when, when they sought the favor of God as they returned from exile. Nineveh fasted as Jonah came with the message that God was about to bring destruction on the city of Nineveh. They fasted and prayed and repented and God withheld destruction in response to their fasting and praying. Moses fasted, David fasted, Elijah fasted, Daniel fasted, and the people of God as a whole, all throughout the Old Testament, we see the people of God fasting. What's interesting is, the only time that God ever instructed the people to fast, the only time he ever did that, 
was during the Day of Atonement. No other time in the scripture did God call his people and tell his people to fast only during the Day of Atonement. Every other example, and there are many of them, of people fasting in the Old Testament is because people took the initiative and they used that as a tool to get to God. There's also plenty in the New Testament as well. All throughout. Did you know that, did you know that in the New Testament there's more teaching about, about fasting than there is about repentance? You know there's more teaching about fasting in the New Testament than there is about confession? Do you know that there's more teaching? You know, Jesus teaches more about fasting than he does the Lord's Supper? Do you know Jesus teaches more about fasting than he does baptism? We're gonna go over a lot of the different texts in the next couple of weeks as we go through this, this time of, of, of fasting and prayer together, but I wanna kinda just wrap up and highlight a couple of benefits, if you will, some, some key things that take place, some of the fruit of, of, of what takes place when we will seek God in a time of fasting. Number one, fasting increases our hunger for God. Fasting increases our hunger for God. John Piper writes in his book, A Hunger for God, he writes this, I love this, he says, if you don't feel strong desires for the manifestation of the glory of God, it's not because you have drunk deeply and are satisfied. I like that. In other words, he's saying, if, if you're not craving more of God, it's not because you've already experienced they've been there and done that. It's not because you've drunk deeply and are satisfied. Look, he says, it's because you have nibbled so long at the table of the world. Your soul is stuffed with small things and there's no room for the great. God did not create you for this. There is an appetite for God and it can be awakened. I invite you to turn from the dulling effects of food and the dangers of idolatry and say with this simple fast, this much, oh God, I want you. Do you want God that much? Do you want him more than your daily bread? This much, oh God, I want you. Fasting increases our hunger for God. Fasting reminds us that we can, we can get by without most things in our life, but we can't get by without God. The thing that you give up, the thing that you let go, you can get by without that. But what fasting teaches us and reminds us is that we can't get by without God. And you see, we know that up here, but we don't live like we know that. You say, well, how do I know that? because we're not in prayer all the time. We're not, we're, not, we're not employing the disciplines and the opportunities to be in the presence of God to the degree that, we, that has been afforded for us by Christ going to the cross for us. And so fasting reminds us and creates a hunger for God. Secondly, fasting encourages self-control. Fasting encourages self-control. Fasting says to our flesh, stay in your place. Whereas Kenny often says, you're not the boss of me. It encourages self-control. I wouldn't suggest fasting as a diet attempt. However, you're probably gonna lose a little bit of weight doing that. But, but one thing it will do, it'll, it'll help you understand why you eat what you do. And as much as you do, 
you ever have this scenario where you go over to the refrigerator, you open up the door, and you think, I'm not even hungry. What am I doing here? You skinny people have no idea what that's about. But, but the, the, the reality is, that this, that like for some of us, it's, not, like it's just something just pulls us in that area, and we open the refrigerator, we're like, oh, I, I, I need this. And meanwhile, I'm like really not even very hungry on the inside. You know what I've discovered about myself, and this actually has become a reality that God's taught me through fasting? Is that it's not that I'm hungry, and just be real vulnerable with you, it's not that I'm hungry to put something in my stomach, I wanna put something in my soul. And see, oftentimes that happens because I don't feel very appreciated, and I feel like I need a treat because I deserve it. I'm sorry if that totally undermines who you think I am, but I have those sick moments where I just feel like I'm gonna give myself this because I deserve it. Nobody else is aware of how much I deserve it, and so I'm gonna treat myself. I'm not even hungry, but for a moment, I'm gonna enjoy this because I deserve it. You're laughing, but you're me in different ways. See, fasting helps us to discover why we do what we do. It encourages self-control, and you know what? It extends to more than just food. Maybe food's not your thing. You're sick, but whatever. I mean, if that's your, if not your thing, I know you, you don't know what you're missing, right? But, but maybe food's not your problem. Perhaps, perhaps you struggle with an area of sexual sin in your life. You say, well, there's a difference between, you know, overeating and sexual sin. Hey, sin is sin. Maybe you struggle with anger. Maybe bitterness is your thing. Maybe you're unwilling to let go of things that people have done to you. Maybe your way of treating yourself is an extra drink or a cigarette or a, a vape or, or, or marijuana, whatever your thing is. I don't know what your thing is, but, but maybe you, you have used a vice to satisfy a hunger that only God can fill. And see, the problem is when we, when we self-medicate and we look to something apart from God, the reality is we're never satisfied. We're never filled. And so, so, so fasting tells my flesh, you're not the boss of me. It creates and encourages self-control. Thirdly, fasting is a voluntary turning up of the heat in our lives. Turn the, the, the spiritual heat thermometer up a bit. Fasting expedites our ability to grow in God. Why? Because we are, because what, the only thing that hinders us from growing in God is our flesh. And if we're intentionally turning up the heat and mortifying our flesh, then we can't get in the way of what God is looking to do. Richard Foster in his book, The Celebration of Discipline, says this, more than any other single discipline, Fasting reveals the things that control us. This is a wonderful benefit to the true disciple who longs to be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. We cover up what is inside us with food and other things, but in fasting, these surface. If pride controls us, it will be, be revealed almost immediately. David said, I humbled myself with fasting. Anger, bitterness, jealousy, strife, fear, if they are within us, they will surface during fasting. At first, we will rationalize that our anger is due to our hunger. But then we would know that we are angry because the spirit of anger is within us. 
we can rejoice in this knowledge because we know that healing is available through the power of Christ. What is he saying here? He's saying that, that if you want to know the things that are in the inside that are inconsistent with your new nature, turn the heat of fasting up and you'll see the anger, the bitterness. How? Well, God in his loving, gracious way will provide scenarios, people, situations to bring to the surface those things, right? that make you impatient, that make you angry, that make you bitter, and it, they'll come out, not from the outside, because it's, no, it's on the inside, and so when it comes out on the inside, God says, all right, good, here's what's hindering you from receiving all the good things that I have for you. What do you want to do with this? And hopefully the answer is, I want to get rid of this, God. I let this go. Heal. So it, it's really a wonderful way. It's like going on a, it's like going on a retreat and allowing God, the Holy Spirit, to customize what is needed in our own lives. Fasting is, is turning up the heat of our lives voluntarily. Lastly, fasting can be a sign of repentance as well. Repent, uh, repentance is a decision to turn away from our sin, from sin in our lives. Repentance is not just being, feeling sorry that we got caught. Today, Christianity, in Christianity, repentance is taken far too lightly. For fear of offending people, for fear of, of making feel, people feel guilty or ashamed, the, the, the teaching of repentance has been so watered down to, hey, just go give God a try and see what you can do. That's not the, the message of the scriptures. The scripture calls us to repent of those things. That means to identify those things as sin and turn away from it and turn to Jesus. No longer to pick it back up again. And fasting can be a wonderful sign of repentance. Maybe you're, you're, you're struggling in an area of sin that for whatever reason, you have not been able to get past. You've, gotten, you've had some victorious moments, but then as time has gone on, you just keep revisiting this thing. I would encourage you to come before God in repentance and fasting and asking God to reveal to you why do you keep coming back to it? Because there's times in our lives where, where I've, and I've seen it, you've seen it too, people will, they'll, they'll take off like a rocket for a while, right? And then all of a sudden, they just kind of teeter back out again. Why? Why not the ability to endure? Because there's something on the inside that's not been dealt with. Fasting has a wonderful way of revealing that on the inside. These are just some of the spiritual benefits of Fasting. But the bottom line is this, it crucifies our flesh. And when we crucify our flesh, we're identifying with the death of Christ so that the new life that has been provided for us in Christ can be lived out. We're crucifying our flesh, which wants to control us, and positioning ourselves to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. For the one who identifies with the words of Jesus to the disciples, your spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak, I invite you to journey with me these next two weeks. We're going to be gathering together Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, this week and next week, just for a time of prayer. In the past, we've done the big, you know, the big service, and I just really felt like, I'm not going to do that. Can you tarry with me for one hour? Can you come on out from seven to eight o'clock? 
and just seek God with me? Can we take 2022 and give it to God right from the beginning and say, God, whatever it holds, use me in the midst of it. Get me out of the way so that you might be glorified in my life. I can't think of a better way of starting the year. I say this every year. And every year, by the end of that time period, I'm reminded again and again that this is the way to start the year. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the work that you have begun in our lives. Thank you that we're here today, and Lord, even for, for every one of us on different levels, the Spirit is willing, and we celebrate that. We, we're thankful for that. We're thankful that, for the fact that you have begun a work in our life, and, and God, we just uh, pray that as we enter into this new year that you would just continue to stir us up on the inside. Lord, help us to navigate past our own flesh to kill that which gets in the way. And as we enter into a season of fasting and prayer together, Lord, would you prepare our hearts even now? Would you help us to prioritize? Would you help us to say no to the things that would try to rob us from that moment of prayer so that we can give to you a piece of ourselves that perhaps we've been unwilling to give in the past? And so we commit all these things into your hands, you who are able to do exceedingly, abundantly above Whatever we hope or think, we give you praise. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.